This is Hacker Public Radio, episode 3569, for Thursday, the 7th of April, 2022. Today's show is entitled, Linux and Laws Sai Rust Marketing. It is part of the series Linux and Laws. It is hosted by Monochromic and is about 44 minutes long. It carries an explicit flag. The summary is... A shameless plug for this hipster programming language and why you should use it. Linux in Laws, a podcast on topics around free and open source software, any associated contraband, communism, the revolution in general, and whatever else fancies your tickle. Please note that this and other episodes may contain strong language, offensive humor, and other certainly not politically correct language. You have been warned. Our parents insisted on this disclaimer. Happy mum! Thus, the content is not suitable for consumption in the workplace, especially when played back on a speaker in an open plan office or similar environments. Any minors under the age of 35 or any pets, including fluffy little killer bunnies, your trusted guide dog, unless on speed, and cute T-Rexes or other associated dinosaurs. Welcome to Linux in Laws, season one, episode, we guess, 53, season one, episode 53. This is just a mere guess. Hello, Martin. How are things? <laughs> Approximation of the episode number. Yes. Uh, how are things? Well, hmm, good question. Um, I think things could be better, right? Well, we are recording this in... The last on, on the last day of February, as in February twenty eight, twenty fifty seven, I think. Uh, oh, but oh. surely we should be then speaking in Russian. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> you see, <laughs> funny thing. <laughs> uh, due to the recent turn of events, Ukraine, due to funding from the EU and actually the US, Biden, full marks here if you're listening has actually conquered Russia. Oh. So, no, no, the no, Russian yeah. Empire is no longer... <laughs> they're all now speaking Ukrainian. <laughs> Swift has... The Swift ban has been lifted. And because of the Greens in Germany, the whole of the previous Russian Empire has now been converted to green energy. Ah. So, it's solar panels and all the rest of it. Um, in the biggest, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Empire, nation, whatever you want to call it, in the world. Nice. Okay, well, that's something to look forward to. <laughs> no, Martin, it's a, it has already been happened because we recorded this in the future, no? <laughs> ah, okay. But people will have forgotten get, about Burton early by then. Get, get your flux capacitor in order. <laughs> Don't do that. But this is not about world politics, but this mm. is something rather about open source. So, Martin, why don't you get us started with tonight's episode in terms tonight's of yes. uh, subject matter? Okay, so tonight's subject matter is 
iron dioxide or iron oxide. Sorry. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, for the chemists and uh, for the chemistry lovers among us. That is FeO two or something, right? Fe two or three, um, yeah. Some, Martin, uh... Full marks. <laughs> you are now a proper geek. I did chemistry many years ago, but yeah. <laughs> but apparently, you did Russian as well. So, <laughs> Martin, I'm wondering what happened. <laughs> well, this was a kind of a premonition, I guess. <laughs> Anyway, let's not go there. Since we're not in Indeed, we won't. Exactly. Uh, if you're looking for political opinions, you may want to refer back to, what is it, season one? But most of uh, them are. <laughs> sorry, yes. Uh, sorry, yes. Uh, to the upcoming episode on the Electronic Frontier Foundation, the uh, Georgian chapter, where you will be enlightened about the American Civil Liberty uh, Union and other very important things. But this is not the subject for tonight, but rather a chemical composite, if I'm completely mistaken. So, Martin, why don't you tell us all about cars, iron, steel, and why this thing is so important in the greater economic picture? How many dollars, for example, are fallen victim due to this chemical composite on a global scale, on an annual basis. How many dollars? In terms of what's the damage? I mean, you buy a car, which consists of, which, which of course consists of steel. Hmm. And before you know it, only about after what, 30 or 50 years, it's gone. Well, that depends. In <clears throat> First of all, which country you live in. Uh, and second of all, how well the car has been protected uh, there are numerous methods like galvanizing and uh, powder coating all these kind of things right too mm. um, so if you park it on a tree you never wash it what happens if you park it what if you park it under a tree you never wash it well, you it hardly move it what happens <laughs> exactly <laughs> So that's acid, acidity right on the, on the coating, I wonder. And handy top tip here, don't park your car on the tree. Yes, if you want to, if you want to continue to, to use, using it, don't park it on a tree, yes, especially. Put it, into, put it into garage and wash it regularly if you're parking it on a tree or something. Mm. But before we lose our last listener... <laughs> I'm tempted that maybe maybe we should kind of review the real subject of today's episode. It's not about cars and it's not about chemistry, but rather it's about, yes, rust, but from a technology perspective. So, Martin, what is rust? What is rust? It's a programming language? Yes. <laughs> if, if not, well, it's probably many other things, but that's the topic for tonight. Indeed. So, Martin, what do you know about rust? From a program. Well, this, this, um, this is podcast, and there's this one guy he keeps going on about it for some reason. I don't know. Maybe he has shares. Oh no, it's an open source project. Um, <laughs> uh, let me think. He's looking for a new job. That's that'd be it. <laughs> That's a Rust program. Um, no, so joking aside, it's a uh, a language that has um, met with some decent growth over the last few years, right? Let's start at the beginning. It's 1975. <laughs> Unix has just been invented. <laughs> P 
people are wondering about the next big thing after C. Unfortunately, it takes about 40 years mm -hmm. to come up, almost 40 years to come up with the truth in terms of what's going to happen afterwards. It's 2008 or 9. Details maybe in the show notes. Um, there. Yeah, 2008. I said to be corrected, Martin. Thank you. A certain browser uh, manufacturer is looking for an alternative Microsoft? with regards to no, with regards to C++, JavaScript, XUL, you name it. In terms of some people still might use that browser. It's called Firefox. The Mozilla Foundation, to be precise, was looking for a better implementation alternative than C and C++, and C++ as in the, the program languages that they previously had been using to implement something called Firefox. They took a look at the technical depth in terms of what the code base was costing them with regards to overall maintenance and other implementation-related costs and said, this is not really on. So somebody at the, uh, somebody at the uh, Mozilla Foundation came up with the beautiful concept of a new programming language. And this was the birth of something called Rust. This is a dramatic pause on purpose to give Martin a chance to other to, to ask more questions. Sorry, I had to sneeze there. Um, <laughs> yes, okay. Coke is okay, Martin. I don't drink Coke. It's bad for your teeth. You you don't drink Coke. Fair enough. Bad for your teeth. Yes, indeed. Beer or something. It's much healthier. Absolutely. <laughs> And Coke is not a hipster drug. If 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 any of you kids are listening, don't do Coke. Don't drink it. Don't do it. Simple as that. Mm. So more recently, I think um, it has won this most loved programming language thing for a while, hasn't it? Um... That's probably true. Details maybe on Stack Overflow, maybe on other platforms. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there's all there's also Chiobi as the, as in the truth of being earnest. Another program language index details are, will be in the show notes or are in the show notes, actually, as a matter of fact. And yes, you'll find Rust there too. Hmm. But what does Rust bring to the table in terms of why do people rave about it and uh, why does it have gained that much popularity over the last 10 years? I'm, I'm tempted to ask. Any ideas, Martin? Well, when you say gained that much popularity, are we? What, what are we talking about in terms of adoption here? There's this corner shop called Microsoft that in 2020, 2020 actually, yes, exactly. I think that was the date. That was a year of the conference. Said that. Well, it said it's probably a too strong word, but hinted at the fact that they will swap. Rust for C++, which had been the major driver for the majority of the projects up to then, ranging from Office Software to something called Azure to other projects within Microsoft. Um, there's this 
bookshop thing called Amazon, I think, that did something recently in AWS called, what's it called, Martin? Bottle Rocket or, 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 oh, yeah. or Rocket Bottle or something? Uh, other major open source projects, Tor probably being the prime example, are thinking about replacing portions of their C-based ba- C code base with Rust for a reason. So the rage is already happening. In terms of more and more people, companies, projects, whatever you want to call it, are actively taking a major look at something called Rust. It's not it's just not Mozilla. It's much more than that. Uh, is there a specific reason why they're all doing this? Madness comes to mind. <laughs> yeah. They've been listening to our podcast too much, perhaps. Trouble is basically that major that, that many of the of these decisions predate uh, something called Linux Linux illustrated <laughs> Uh, yes, <laughs> absolutely, Martin. No, the simple reason, basically, that brings that Rust brings something brings a lot of things actually to the table hmm. uh, that right. prevails among other techno- technology choices uh-huh. um, happening over the last ten to fifteen years, I suppose. Hmm. Um, on the subject, we did have an interview. On Rust not too long ago, I think. Yes. Steve Klubnik was on the show, yes, indeed. He had some... One of the main maintainers, yes, pun intended. Good, uh, <laughs> yeah. He had some good insights on the adoption and stuff like that, so worth listening to. In a nutshell, for those two people who haven't listened to the episode, maybe a link will be in the show notes. What are the benefits of Rust. In a nutshell, people, it's straightforward. Time, as in saving time. If you take okay. a look at, and exactly, and <laughs> metrics are all, all, all over this cat video network called the internet, it's straightforward. If you can convince a Rust compiler to generate code, you're almost half there. In terms of Rust has a couple of traits that are baked into the language in terms of, for example, the memory management, type checking, and much, much more details, as in in terms of the links within the show notes. The website to check out for is rustlang.org. The thing is basically that in comparison to C or C++, actually what you do is when you use Rust, you move the whole development life cycle to the to the left. If you picture your development life cycle from left to right, as in the left side of the of the equation where you start a design, you then think of the low level design, you finally start to implement and the right hand oh, side wait, of the development life cycle. Yes. Which century are we talking about here? Oh, we're talking about the eighteenth century. Okay. It's called the V model. <laughs> But thanks for interrupting, Martin. And for those hipsters out there, (laughs) 
exactly. If uh, sorry, yes. If you look at the last backlog, <laughs> uh, or if sorry, uh, implementation like a sprint. If you take a look at yes, uh, a typical sprint, you probably spend with the Rust. You spend about two thirds coding in terms of designing, coding, all the rest of it, and you'd spend about a third of the overall sprint on QA. In contrast, programming languages like C, especially C++, Python, as in programming languages that are not strongly typed, whether compiler-based or not, uh, you probably spend a third of the overall sprint duration coding and two-thirds on QAing the whole code base. This is actually the benefit that Rust brings to the table. For example, is it strongly typed language? It has type, uh, what's what I'm looking for, derivation in terms of the compiler can figure out, more often than not, if you simply state a variable, then basically how the way you use it, what type it is. So more often than not, and this is prevalent in GitHub and other code repositories, the compiler can figure out, by the way, how you use a variable, what the type is. So, and it basically, this principle applies to your whole code base. So the idea is that a lot of the things you were encountering when you QA a program as in quality assure program, once the build has been finalized, Rust actually shifts this to compile time, meaning that Rust will be, or is is actually able to figure out a lot of the errors that only surface in other program languages during runtime and quality assurance lifecycle, only at a compile time, which saves you a lot of effort when you actually write code, rather than basically during your quality assurance cycle, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, that sounds promising. What about the uh, much um, mentioned uh, benefit over things like C of uh, pointers? You're deep down technical. We are getting now, aren't we? <laughs> Now, um, yes, of course, Rust has a couple of principles that relate somewhat to pointers in C, but let's take a look at the bigger picture. Rust have a couple of, has a couple of notions that other programming languages do not have. Hence, this somewhat steep learning curve in terms of... Rust is probably the, the opposite of Python in that regard, in terms of if you start to learn Python, you get results pretty fast. But the more you progress, the steeper the learning curve gets. Rust inverts that to some extent in terms of it puts you it puts you through through a steep learning curve at the very beginning. In terms of you have to master a lot when you start to learn the language. Like for example, the concept that a variable only has one ownership at a, at a given time. Uh, but that all that also entails 
the concept of not having a garbage collector in terms of the compiler can identify the ownership of a certain piece of memory at any given time so it can prove or it can validate basically if you're valid if you're validating that principle okay. so dangling pointers and null pointers and all the rest of it as in even use after freeing are in rust are non-existent because at any given point in time the compiler knows who owns a piece of memory so actually it can follow it can follow the life cycle of a variable until its destruction that has a lot of benefits with regards to pointer problems reference problems and and and, and you name it and that's exactly actually one of the benefits of rust because of this principle you are not facing null pointer problems, void pointers, and dangling references because the language, per definition, includes the excludes this from day one. So, why you, in contrast to C, where you where you shifting much of this effort actually to the later QA stage of the development lifecycle? In Rust, you do this pretty much at compile time, more or less. Um, so, what are the guiding principle of uh, principles of Rust? Uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, I had a question because um, uh, let's say uh, every variable has ownership. Then, <clears throat> what about the uh, things like buffers that need to be accessed by multiple um, own? Well, there can't be multiple owners, or can there be multiple owners as well? And then, how does the compiler know who owns it at any one point in time? That's a very interesting question, Martin, because that brings us right up to the something called the standard library. The standard library has multiple threading models, if you're referring to that, that support multiple concurrency control mechanisms. Details are on rustlang.org. <laughs> so it goes right from signals right up to channels and other synchronization uh, primitives. So similar to Golang, I might add, the Multi-processing capabilities or multi-threading capabilities are built right with the language. So even at that stage, closures come to mind because if you take a close look at Rust, it's as usual. There are no major inventions been happening in computer science for the last. I'm tempted to say 40 years. This is granted. This is granted talking now. Mm. <laughs> Jokes aside, it's the, the, the principles that Rust engages are not new. Concurrency mechanisms have been around for ages. So the whole thing of locking, uh, signaling, uh, mutexes as in kind of, uh, Synchronization locks and all the rest of it are not new. Uh, Java has them. Other program, other program languages, even like Ada, going back to the kind of seventies, eighties now, already had them. So yes, of course, Rust has them too. But in contrast to that, Rust actually, uh, in contrast to 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 the to these other languages. Exceptions, of course, being present. Rust actually has has the ability to type them, meaning that Rust actually can check and can and compile time, for example, if a concurrency construct being typed is valid, 
and that's a, and that's a major benefit because that, for example, excludes sending down a wrong type to a channel where the receiver will not be able to 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 decipher this. Let's put it this way. Uh, so similar to Golang, uh, concurrency is built right up into language, and you simply, it's a matter of use case definition, you simply pick the um, idiom of your choice, essentially. Okay, so we touched upon the, uh, let's say the type checking um, and the handling of um, memory. What else would you say is stands out? Car cargo comes to mind. Right. Okay. And tell. before and before I forget, uh, full disclosure: um, this episode is not sponsored by the Rust Foundation. In case anybody's wondering, no, full disclosure, I've been using Rust on non-off basis for the last two, two and a half years. This is my personal opinion. Martin was coerced into this episode, I might add. <laughs> but Martin finally gave in and said it might be a good idea to do an episode on Rust. Um, it's, it's for the greater good yes indeed uh, what is cargo um, Martin any ideas tossing that question back to you it's the um, let's say the the, the matter that is uh, transported by a transport vehicle perfect <laughs> and with that we've reached the, ep the end of the episode thank you for listening <laughs> No jokes aside. Uh, for those of you who know C, there's a, there's a thing called make. For those hipsters out there who are familiar with Ninja, Mason, all the rest of it, cargo is probably the next step. Hate mails actually go to martin at linuxinvoice.eu. <laughs> <laughs> Very important. Along with, along with all the other meals for the things that you subscribe to. <laughs> exactly. No, jokes aside. Uh, I, okay, Mason and, and Ninja probably are being the, the, the examples, uh, are, that, that, uh, the, the exceptions rather that prove that rule. No jokes aside. Uh, Cargo is a, is a blend of a package management system and a build system. With that, it combines benefits of both worlds because essentially what you do is when you have a piece of Rust code similar to pip in Python parlong, I'm, 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 I'm tempted to add, uh, essentially you take a look, if, if, you have, if you have something that you want to code, you take a look at it, what, what's out there already in terms of in Python, if it, it, it's the Python package index as in PyPy, you take a look at, at the packages that are already out there and in, in, in Rust, it's, it's similar. Uh, there's a package index called crates.io where any framework, any, any functionality that you want to implement is probably already out there. So similar to Python, if I'm challenged with implementing a piece of software in Rust these days, I simply take a look at the ecosystem that, are, that is already out there. Either the functionality is already in the standard library as an STD, or it's on crates.io. So 
Cargo will take care, given a proper definition file in terms of cargo.toml, will take care of downloading the packages, compiling the packages depending on your target architecture, and then will take care of compiling a source code in order, and then generating a statically linked executable that is ready to run without major external dependencies on your target platform. Similar to Python, but only in a compiled fashion, meaning that, again, you shift much of the quality assurance from runtime or from debugging time to compile time because Rust is a strongly, is a strongly typed language and Cargo in combination with the Rust compiler will help you to, uh, to identify issues early. That's the whole idea. The slight drawback, of course, being that especially if you do an order on a project basis, Cargo will download all of the packages that are that are required from crates.io down to the project directory and will compile it for this individual project, meaning that a lot of potentially a lot of disk space will be spent on storing these source codes, these libraries, and all the rest of it before you even get to an executable. Needless to say, you can configure Cargo to that extent that it will. Uh, create a common library in your in your home directory. Another and so that you save a little bit on the on the per project storage requirement. But Cargo is also able actually because you can define the individual version of a crate, and the crate in Rust in in Rust. Parlay is pretty much comparable to a module, for example, in Python code. You can specify the exact version of a needed crate in the in the cargo in the cargo.toml file. That means that potentially you can have you can have many versions of a crate in your library, depending on the particular requirement of a project. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. I have a guess what the um, the most downloaded crate is on there. It's probably some sort of web framework. It appears to be RAND. <laughs> Random number generation. Rand, okay, indeed. Okay, which is interesting because the Sun Larry already has a pretty capable random, not random generator that, that ties directly in with the operating system supplied functionality. Because at the end of the day, Rust, like Python, like any other programming language, makes use of something called Lipsy which is the standard C library, at least on Linux, that comes with the operating system. And that directly interfaces, for example, to the entropy generator of the kernel. But maybe there's some syntactic sugar added to that particular crate. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's, surprised me as well. Martin, I reckon the next one on on that list you're just currently looking at would be D-Wave 2 exit uh, integration, right? No, no, it's um, it's not. It's actually called Sin. Yeah. <laughs> not too far off. As an S I N. No, for for these two listeners out there who don't know what a D Wave Two X is, it's actually a quantum computer. Not to be more precise, it's actually quantum annealing infrastructure. 
Um, the idea, of course, being that if you digress from your typical <laughs> for Newman <laughs> for Newman architecture, I'm tempted to add, uh, venturing into quantum computing, you actually can you can actually can gain a little bit of, let's put it this way, runtime performance at a price, of course. Given given the fact that we are talking about a hipster subject, I thought exactly that the quantum integration would be right down yeah. that list. Ah, I see, I see. Okay, let's see if there is a, is a um, if there is a crate on that subject. Um, needless to say, this this episode or the or the idea behind this episode has been brought up by marketing, who thought we should digress. <laughs> From the usual cadence of boring subjects, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like Zig or Python or other technologies, right up to something that really stirs uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The community in terms of hipster stuff. Mm -hmm. So, if you have any, if you have any other idea, about, any other ideas about hipster subjects, the email address is feedback at linuxinlaws.eu. Yes, um, like uh, yeah, we normally have some suggestions from BQ, don't we, on hipster subjects? We do. Yes, and Martin and Thomas, if you're listening, um, <laughs> a uh, subject on cryptocurrencies and NFTs are is actually next. Yes, and. We came up with idea with that idea before you did. <laughs> Just adding this. Him. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, and of course, we are talking about the Grumpy Old Quarters. Mm. Uh, blatant, uh, blatant, blatant. Yes, blatant, blatant. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Slagging off. No. <laughs> no. 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 Uh, not plot, but we got, got we want to cut this out now. A plug, sorry, blatant plug. The Grumpy Old Quarters are closely associated podcasts, preferred podcasts, whatever you want to call it. Uh, as in close to us, um, details may be in the show notes. Grumpies, if you're listening, the IBAN will be in an email you get from us next. <laughs> Just in case you want to respond. Details also may be on the website with regards to a proper link to Patreon. Yes, good idea. Okay. Okay. Any uh, final any final remarks on Rust, Martin? Well, why don't you tell the listeners what you have done with Rust? Mm. Mostly talking, actually. <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> well, you haven't uh, implemented your your deep D wave um, quantum and an annealing program in that. No? Uh, I can't really talk about this. Ah. Okay. 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 <laughs> And you won't find the code on GitHub, I'm afraid. <laughs> and that's for a reason. Mm. Uh, foundation, as in the Rust Foundation, if you're listening for some strange odd reason, there have been, let's put it this way, attempts in the past by marketing mm. to get in touch with you. F foiled? Is that the word I'm looking for? Failed? Feebled? Spam filtered? No. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> uh, if you want to get on this show, Rust Foundation, mm. forget about the failed attempt of market, a failed attempt of marketing. Just get in touch by feedback at linuxinlaws.eu and we'll sort you out. 
We already had Steve on the show. That was a great episode. This is another plaque, of course. Yes, and we are... Martin Martin probably would say we are cheap, but I'm tempted to say we're inexpensive. Yes, we are inexpensive. Well, we're value for money, right? That's just... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's the reason why so many people listen to us, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. And more than 10. <laughs> uh, hang on a minute. I thought the latest stats were over 100. 10 times that, I'm afraid. Okay. Uh... If marketing is anything to go by, we're looking way beyond that. Ken, if you're listening, that was a joke. That includes the scrapers. Mm. No, the point... Okay, bottom line. Rust is not for everybody. Well, it's but made if, for system programming. But Exactly, but if Microsoft and other, and, and other, and, and other companies are anything to go by, uh, it depends on the use case, but... Rust has a certain couple of advantages that brings to the table that are not to be neglected. And I'm almost tempted to say it took Rust 10 years to get where it's now in comparison to Python, where it took almost 30 years to get the, to, to the present stage, or state rather. And that's a little bit of a difference, all right? And I'm really interested in the next 20 years and to see where Rust is going from not just from a system language perspective. Well, it's certainly done quite well in the last 10 years, right? It's um, surpassed a number of, um, let's say, more established languages in the popularity. If, if marketing stats are anything to go by, of course, they can be rigged. Donald, if you're listening, we are, as a matter of fact, cheap. The email address is how to rig your election at linuxinlaws.eu. So never mind the midterms, send an email and we'll sort you out. Okay. Mr. Forber, President of the US, as in POTUS. About a few of those, isn't it? Say, say again? About a few former presidents of the US. But there's only one Donald Trump, I'm afraid. Well, it could be worse. Well, it, 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 well, you see, the, thing, the 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 hint, Martin, is actually I'm afraid. Ah, well, yes. <laughs> well, I'm afraid to be that. It's gotta be that. It's it's better that there's what if there would be two. Or would be Bernie, be zero. Mr. <laughs> yeah, Bernie, Mister Biden, whatever. <laughs> if you want to prevent this, the email addresses. <laughs> Yeah. How to prevent Donald as a POTUS at linuxinlaws.eu. Just send mail. Just send mail. We sort you out at no cost. No, no. And, and Donald, forget about the previous joke. You won't get anywhere with us. <laughs> Especially in the light of ACLU and other fine institutions in the US. I'm yes. tempted to add. Yes. Uh, is that going out before or after this one? Ask marketing. <laughs> Or post production or whatever. Yeah. Martin unless you have fired them once again. Uh, well, I don't think we need marketing, right? This is really. what you keep saying for almost the two the last two years. Yes. <laughs> but then you keep hiring them once again over and over again. Ah, I don't know. Hiring them. Okay, fine. <laughs> Someone must be. Ah. Must be the grumpies who are sending them our way. You think they rigged this? Maybe. 
David Thomas, if you're listening, <laughs> shame on you. But that's enough plugs for the for the grumpies, I think. Anyway, all right. Any final? Um... Yes, we should plug upcoming episodes. Okay, we can do that. We have upcoming episodes. Yes, we do. For example, the Mozilla Foundation. Yes, and when is this one coming up? Uh, as marketing. <laughs> <laughs> In the near future, I'm tempted to add, somewhat we will fluid. have... Sorry? The schedule is somewhat fluid, isn't it? Yes. We will have Eric Rescorla confirmed for an upcoming episode. Eric Rescorla, of course, being the, of course, being the CTO of the Mozilla Foundation. Yes. No, Very important. Yep. Very good, very good. And so let's have a look. Well, so we got Eric Rescorla. Yes. And of um, course, the next episode or the 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 the, the the episode after next will actually be on System D. Oh, that nicely brings us me to the next plug. Leonard, if you're still listening, <laughs> and I'm not sure you are, send an email to feedback at linuxinlaws.au so we can finally do this episode on System D and friends. Okay. Has he not that's volunteered it. to come on, has he? He did, but that was some years ago, and I reckon... Uh, Ruling Red Hat came in between, I suppose. I'm joking. <laughs> Anything that you want to plug, Martin, before we finish this off? Uh, well, I'm quite looking forward to the multimedia episode. That's quite a way away. Oh, yeah. It's going to be 2025, if marketing is anything to go by. If Martin has fired, if Martin has, hasn't fired them by then. 20 episodes. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, stay tuned. All will be revealed or not. Excellent. And with that, I think we have come to uh, to the end of this Linux In-Laws episode. As usual, we would like to thank Hacker Public Radio. We do. Never mind changing the upload page or not. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, sorry, Ken, Ken, I had to squeeze this in, but that's okay. Our artificial intelligence sorted out the upload, uh, the uploading code. So, uh, fair play to PyTorch, TensorFlow, and all the rest of them. So that I didn't have to spend the whole afternoon of <laughs> fixing the code. All is well. Anyway, sorry guys, the code will not be on GitHub because that's really proprietary, I'm afraid. Mm. Yes. Anyway, D-Wave, if you want to send us money, the the email address is sponsor at linuxinlaws.eu, especially after September, when you're going, or if you're going public in, with a, with a SPAC in the autumn, uh, do get in touch, and we would really, we would really appreciate you as a sponsor. Hmm. We should do an episode on... Quantum computing, yes! D-Wave, if you're listening, just send a mail. We'll sort you out. Yes. Otherwise, we will have to make something up as usual. Speak to IBM or something. Yeah. <laughs> Push comes to shove. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Worst thing possible. Exactly. Dude. <laughs>
But so so D Wave, please do get in touch so we don't have an, so we yeah. don't do so we don't have to do an episode on IBM. Excellent. Yes. Uh, yes. Anyway, okay, Mark. Thank you, and with that, see you soon. Bye. 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 This is the Linux in laws. You come for the knowledge, but stay for the madness. Thank, Thank you for, for listening. listening. This podcast is licensed under the latest version of the Creative Commons license. Type attribution share like. Credits for the intro music go to Blue Sea Roosters for their song Salute Margaret, to Twin Flames for their piece called The Flow used for the segment intros, and finally to Celestial Ground for their song Sweet Justice used by the Dark Side. You find these and other ditties licensed under CC at Gemando, a website dedicated to liberate the music industry from choking copyright legislation and other crap concepts. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. Today's show was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hosting for HBR has been kindly provided by anhonesthost.com, the Internet Archive, and rsync.net. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License.